second morning, and uh, I hesitate to say, after being shamed last week at the end of the sermon, uh, for those of you that were here, I, I want to say uh, happy, um, happy Father's Month, because you know I referenced, told everybody Happy Father's Day four times last week, but maybe you didn't know it was the practice of our home, Taylor Family Home, we do, you know, happy, we, do, we do a whole month, Happy Father Month. And, uh, you know, Lou and I have revisited that this week because we don't do that for mothers. So we're going to rethink that and maybe just go back to a, a one week, uh, you know, celebration of uh, fathers. Uh, just so everybody knows, in the United States of America, uh, Father's Day is on the third Sunday of June every single year. It's never on the second Sunday, just so you know. <laughs> I know that now. <laughs> I made sure that was seared into my soul. <laughs> Um, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Romans chapter 11. And if you're here for the first time or you haven't been with us, we're in the deep end of the pool. Okay, this is not, uh, this is not just simple theology, but I think it's real practical theology for us. Um, because when you look at the gospel uh, or the epistle to, to Rome, the letter to Rome, um, Paul wants to make sure that we understand this. Um, Israel was chosen as, to be this holy people. And it was nothing that Israel had done. God could have picked a whole bunch of other people groups, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Amalekites. He didn't. He picked Abraham, and he told him to move from present-day Iraq all the way to the Promised Land to kind of where uh, Jerusalem is um, for no particular reason. We have no idea why God picked Abraham. Um, but as we've walked through uh, this particular book, um, as, I, as I did this, this week at uh, VBS, oh, I got to use this as a metaphor and to tell the kids, hey, look, here's the gospel. The gospel is this. Uh, the, the, the stones represent your sin. And here's the deal. We're all walking around, right? We're all walking around with this weight, this burden, right? And we feel that all the time. And here's what Jesus says. He says, come to me, all who are weary and, and heavy laden, and I, and I will give you rest. That's what the gospel is. And so what you do is all the sins that are accumulated in your life and all the guilt that you feel, here's what you're called to do. Just all you got to do is the beauty of the gospel is just take it, take it to Jesus, take it to the cross. And if you give it to him, right, your burdens are laid down. And the guilt that you carry around it's alleviated and you're all of a sudden what used to be 300 pounds is more like 200 pounds or 100 pounds and you feel free and that was happening in the church um, and uh, the people of Israel the Hebrews were getting saved but at the same time the gospel went out and the Gentiles those that weren't Hebrews were beginning to hear this message and they were beginning to get saved and remember, the, the book of Romans, if, if you looked at it, you really could break it up into two categories. Because the gospel went to the prodigal. And we know in Luke 15, Jesus says the prodigal is like this. The prodigal is the one who wanted his father dead and went out and lived a licentious lifestyle. He went to 275 in Dale Mabry and did whatever he needed to do. Wherever, whatever establishment he wanted to go, he went. Whatever he felt he wanted to do, he did. And he realized he was empty. 
And he comes back with his head down and he thought his dad was going to be on, the, on a rocking chair waiting for him with his arms crossed and a scowl on his face. And here's what Jesus tells us. No, no. A good father, here's what, a fa- here's what the father in heaven does. He doesn't look at you with a scowl and disappointment. He runs to the end of the driveway screaming that my son has come home. Kill the fatted calf. Well, the other end of that story is there was another brother who didn't do that. He didn't go out partying. He stayed home. But he thought he was fine. He thought there was something that he did right, and he struggled deeply. And if you read that, um, that parable, there is no uh, bow tied up. It's the elder brother was ticked. Like, what? Why does my brother get a party? Do you know what he did? The assumption being that, what? The elder brother brought something good to the table. Much better than the prodigal. Jesus tells one other parable to set the the stage. He says, it's like everybody in the world doesn't have salvation and they need... They need someone to give them a job, to give them purpose, and to give them mission. And there's a landowner that goes out and says, you know what? You are jobless, and we're in the Great Depression. And I'm going to give you your salvation. I'm going to give you a job. And so he hires a bunch of dudes at 9 o'clock. And he says, I want you to work for me from till 9 to 6. And they're so grateful to get a job. They've been without a job. It's the Great Depression. This is my salvation. This is it. I can't believe, God, you've given me my big break. I have a job, and they work from nine. you know. And all of a sudden, noontime comes around, and the landowner goes back out to the city market, and he goes, I need some more workers, and he hires some dudes at 12. And they're so grateful, like, oh, my goodness, I I never thought I would get a job. And, And they're so grateful, and they're working hard. They have their salvation. And then he goes out again at three. And he says, I need some more workers. And he hires some more people, and they're so grateful. And he goes out one more time at 5 o'clock, and all they have to do is work to 6, and he hires some more. And then it says, 6 o'clock came around, and the 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, and 5 o'clock people come up to receive right, their wages, and every single one of them got the same thing. And the 9 o'clock, the 12 o'clock, they were mortified. What? Whereas before, they were a sinner in need of a job. Now, what happened? They had changed. Their perspective had changed. They, they took what was given to them, and they felt entitled. Just like the elder brother said, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. Not, I can't believe I was birthed into this family with an inheritance, with this wealthy father who loves his sons. No, I deserve more than my brother. I deserve more than the, nine, than the, than the 3 o'clock or the 5 o'clock worker. And Jesus says, once you get into the church, it can change. And there's dynamics in a church when you think this way that will destroy and explode a church. And so here in, the, in Rome, you have the Hebrews. Think of them as the church people. They've been in church for a long time. They know the way it works. They know what Sunday school is. They, they know what the four Gospels are. If, they, if you do a Bible sword drill, they're going to win it. If you have a theology trivia contest, they're going to they're nail it, right? They win. They're better than the dude, Jeopardy, who's won $8,000, million. Never gets anything wrong. Makes me feel stupid all the time when I tried to watch it. 
And they feel like there's something inside of them. But you know what you also have? You have a bunch of Gentiles, a bunch of people living in Rome that, you know what? They heard the gospel and they got saved for real. I mean, their heart was totally transformed. Now, here's what Paul's got to deal with. People who have been in the church for a long time, and Paul's got to deal with people who are just coming into the church, who are zealous, who are truly saved. How is this dynamic going to work? You know, Saturday Night Live with Dana Carvey got a lot of mileage out of the church lady, right? The church lady who never talked about grace, and all she ever talked about was, you don't do this, Satan is working in your life, right? It made you feel guilty. And so Paul is saying, I, I want to address this. I want to address this in this chapter because maybe this is happening at West Town. Maybe there are dynamics in our church that need to be addressed because he's talking about his own people. And some of them are ultimately hearing the gospel and you know what? They're not buying into it because they raised their kid in Sunday school and their kid was 12 and he was a part of the Talmudim. Who was the Talmudim? The elite Navy SEAL 12-year-old who what? What did they do as a young Jewish boy? They memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, verbatim. They were a part, right, of, of, of the exclusive club. They don't want some Goya, some Gentile coming in on the same plane as them. And Paul has to address this dynamic. Here's what he says. This is Romans 11, verse 1. I ask then, did God reject his people? Remember, Paul is, he is the Hebrew. By no means. I am an Israelite myself, Paul is saying. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm from the tribe, the exclusive tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. What Paul is saying is this. There's a bunch of church people in the church that aren't really saved. They don't really believe that you bring a sack of stones, a sack of sin into the church. They don't really need a big cross. They don't feel like they need anything. They're just, they just want to be around other religious people. And so what Paul is saying is, I know. It seems like... The people in the church really don't understand grace. It's almost like Elijah. And the reference here in Elijah is back to the Old Testament in the book of Kings where Elijah performs this unbelievable miracle on Mount Carmel. And I got to see Mount Carmel back in November going to the Holy Lands. And he, God shamed the prophets of Baal. And then Elijah was all excited that this would be like a revival for the Israelites. And you know what happened? You know, it just it was like this downward spiral. And Elijah was depressed. I mean, he, he needs to go see a therapist after this because he thought it was going to be like the, big, the biggest deal. And here's what God is saying to, to Elijah. And what, what's God's answer to Elijah who thinks there's no one in Israel that's really saved? And he says, I have reserved myself for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the need to bail. Elijah, you may look at the church and think there's not many people saved, but I know who's saved. In fact, there's 7,000 in our people right now that are truly saved. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant that's chosen by God 
by grace. And here, uh, Paul reiterates the gospel. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. In other words, if you add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. Grace is undeserved. Is, is an undeserved love, an affection from God. What then, verse 7, what then? What, what the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did. In other words, those that God had truly chosen. But the others, the fakers, the churchy people that weren't really saved, were hardened. As it, was, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. What Paul is ultimately trying to say to set the stage is, look, he doesn't care if you're an Israelite or a Gentile. You're saved by the same thing. In other words, why are people saved? How are people saved? It's grace plus nothing. In other words, it's just grace. You are not saved by works. And so Paul is making sure that that is abundantly clear. Hey, if there are people, if you're coming in and, and you're uh, radically saved and you've been of the world, hey, watch your mindset because that can happen here. You can get saved and you can apply this pressure to churchy people. Verse 9, it says this, And David said, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Again, verse 11, I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? In other words, Paul is saying, did my people stumble beyond recovery? You Gentiles that are coming into the church that are newly saved, are you so sure of your faith that you look at these churchy people and say, there's no hope for them? There's no hope for these Israelites? Not at all. Rather, because, and this is amazing, because of the Israelites and, and the Hebrews, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. What if you that are newly converted, that aren't churched, what if God brought you into the church to show the people that have been around the church for a long time, you know what? I've been playing church. And I see this person get saved, and they were living crazy, this crazy life in Tampa, and they've come to our church, and there's an authenticity, a transparency, and just an honesty about how much they don't measure up that I've never been able to be honest. In fact, I can't even tell people what I do wrong because I need to look a certain way because I'm the pastor of the church, right? Or I'm an elder here at Westtown, or I'm a deacon, or I've been here for a long time. Maybe, maybe Paul is saying, I bring in what? The newly converted so that those that have been around for a long time realize, oh my goodness, I don't even have salvation. I don't even have um, what we have been selling all these years. What I talked about at VBS to fifth graders, when I see my buddy get saved, I realize at VBS I was lying. Like, I don't even have this joy. But I go to church every Sunday. I mean, I help out whenever they need it, but I don't have the joy of the Lord. And that's what Paul is saying. There's this, there's this dynamic that's happening. So you that are newly saved, you know what? You're being used. 
To what? To make those that have been around the church, that have been around Israel, that know the Torah so well, you're actually causing them to think. Verse 12, but if their transgressions, if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their, will their full inclusion bring? So, Gentiles, when you come into the church, don't think. I know what you're feeling. You're feeling a bunch of churchy people. But don't think those people are, are completely lost. There's no hope for them. Because you could write them off. You could come into a church, any church, and say, Oh gosh, they've been here for this long and they're this mean? <laughs> They come in here, and they're in my small group, and they will never, ever say anything that they've done wrong, for real. What Paul is saying, no, maybe you're being used to actually show them grace for the first time. Israel, because we know this, all of Israel isn't true Israel. Everybody who got circumcised wasn't truly saved. That's why we say, hey, when a baby is baptized up here, that baby is not saved. What does that baby have to do to be saved? Make profession of faith that's why we have our communicants class so they can understand the gospel and they decide in a membership interview if this is what they want to profess and if they do we know that they are what we believe that they are truly israel they are truly saved and what paul is saying is can we have that mindset because how much greater will the israel that is the full inclusion how much greater will that bring verse 13 I'm talking to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles inasmuch as yeah that's right I, I am known as the apostle to Asia Minor all around Greece right Israel all the way up right so he, he, he planted churches in, in, if you want to think of it in terms of America he planted churches in New York City Chicago and San Francisco like cosmopolitan cities that have some weight and I was the one that did not go to the Hebrew Israel ghetto. I didn't go to those places. I went to the Gentile hub. And inasmuch as I am the evangelist or the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. So when I go to Chicago and when I go to San Francisco and you get saved and you're the Gentile that gets saved, I hope you're around some of my Jewish people that have been around the synagogue their entire life because I hope they smell you and they smell something different and they realize, you know what? I don't have it. I don't have it. So Gentiles, can you have that mindset? Newly churched, newly converted, can you have that mindset that, you know what? You might be actually used to help those that have been in the church but aren't saved to what? Save some of them. The end of verse 14. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? In other words, if God, during this time, they become a stumbling block, and he's used that as an in for the Gentiles, and during this time a bunch of Gentiles are getting saved, but now what if their acceptance, the, the kind of the revival for the Israelite, for the Hebrew, for the churched, if that revival happens to West Town, it can do nothing but infuse spiritual vitality to this place. Think like that. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits 
is holy. In other words, the Israelites got the gospel first. They were, Abraham was first. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Then here's what we know. The whole batch is holy. All of them are set apart. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So are you willing to say, okay, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm a churched or non-churched and have just come into and have just gotten saved. Are we at Westtown? The question we have to ask is this. Are we creating a community that is the fulfillment of what God has called Old Testament Israel to be? Because the church at Rome has a bunch of tension. And Paul is trying to say, can we not use the strengths of both sides, the history of the Israelites and the new vitality of the Gentile convert? Can they not serve one another? Because if they would, then we're not going to think in terms of Israelite Gentile. So Paul says, hey, look, there's no more slave or free. There's no more male or female. There's no more Jew or Gentile. Stop with those categories. He says in Galatians 3.29, if you are in Christ at all, then your father is Abraham. Right? Then you're a part of what God has done. Now, this is where it gets, is where it gets a little tough. If you think of Jesus, right? If you think of the root of Jesse, and Jesus is, um, he is the stem, right? He's the trunk. And in the trunk, you have branches off of it. If some of the branches have been broken off, in other words, if in the church, some of them have been broken off, and you, Gentile, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. What is he saying? He's saying this. If all of a sudden you see someone who's churched realize they're not truly a Christian and they're not helpful, and here's what Jesus says, I'm going to cut off some branches that aren't truly branches, and I'm going to bring wild olive shoots and I'm going to put them into into the true stem. What's an example of this? Think of in Joshua 2. You have a woman named Rahab who is a prostitute, who is a Canaanite, who's the arch enemy of Israel, and she lies. All three of those things are in Joshua 2. What does God say? I'm going to use you. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? You're a wild olive shoot. And you know, the stem of, a, of an olive tree is so powerful that you could take a branch of another olive tree and put it onto one tree and it would ultimately uh, feed it enough for it to attach and become a part of that tree. You can do that actually. And so what they're saying is this. Some of you are watching some of the church people be cut off because they're not truly saved. And you are like Rahab. You live this life but you're actually saved now like Rahab was. Don't for one second consider yourself better. Don't, if you walked up here and gave your testimony and started crying because you were a felon and you did this, and you look out there and other people you realize aren't saved, there's no place for a hierarchy in the church. If you have this, you know, emotional testimony where God has done an unbelievable thing, he's saying this, don't consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, 
but the root supports you. In other words, always remember, when you give your testimony, it's not your choosing God. You didn't all of a sudden say, yeah, I don't want to live this lifestyle anymore. God chose you. Because what do we know? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things, for it there is no cure. You cannot come out of your sinful depravity. We are born, right? Dirty, rotten scoundrels. That's what the scriptures say. You cannot choose God because you are so totally depraved or totally sinful. So, you don't support the root, but the root supports you. So what does this do? It it evens out our church. No one can say anyone is any better or worse. Yeah, there are some people that maybe have come up for membership, maybe have even been baptized, but we, we realize they're not truly saved over time. We know people, right, who have left the church. I mean, we've been a church now for over 12 years, and we've seen people, and they don't want anything. They, the people who initially said, I love Jesus, and they live in our community, and you know what they say today? I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God anymore. We would say those are the branches that have been what? That have been broken off. What looked like a true branch. Now you see them at 7-Eleven or at Publix and they would say, I would never don the doors of a Christian church because I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Those who looked like Christians we thought were, but here's the thing, only Jesus, only God the Father can see inside your heart. I can't. If you want to become a member of this church, what's the standard? We say you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But can I really see your heart? Could you come on and put an Oscar-winning performance in front of myself or any of the elders when we do an interview? Of course you can. You could completely fool us, and we would have no idea whether or not you really believed. The thing is, though, that God can see it. And he says, look, um, to, to, to the true... And to the branches that have fallen, the true branch, when you see others fall off, do not consider yourself superior. Verse 19. You will then, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, Paul's saying, yeah, that was used to bring you in, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And that verse should all make us quake. And that applies to me, applies to everybody. Because what is he saying? None of us can be in this room and be arrogant and kind of throw around your certainty that you're saved with this type of arrogance or overconfidence that people begin to feel like, whoa, they're like something spiritually I've never felt before. Paul says, here's what you do. You just stay humble. And you remember that you are, are, are a nobody and that God chose you. Amazing grace, right? Who saved a wretch like me. We say wretch because we are all that. When you stay in that position, when our church stays in that position, what happens? Hey, to the new convert, to the person that's been here a long time and maybe is struggling with, I don't know if I really believe this stuff. Here's the posture we take. It's just humility. We take constant humility. And if we understand who we are, you know what I think is going to happen? We will persevere. Because we realize we don't deserve anything. No one in this room deserves anything. And so, this is what Paul is trying to tell his church. 
can we not be um, diseased with, the, with these fracturing, with, with these fractures, right? With, with these tribes. Could we, could we come together and, and we rejoice? And, and those that have been around the church for a long time look at their own life and say, you know what, I need to make sure that I am truly saved. If I've become a Pharisee over time, I need to look at that. And, and there's no way, because sometimes the church people will say, well, just give them time. Because the emotional Red Bull of getting saved will wear off. If they got saved in September of 2019, I guarantee you by September of 2023, it'll wear off. They'll stop coming. That's what those of us that have been in the church, myself included, will say sometimes. I hope this isn't just an emotion. Because Jesus does say there are soils, and, and one, one type of soil sprouts up a believer, maybe gets, uh, gets saved at camp or at Billy Graham crusade, Within a few years, the weeds choke them out. They weren't truly saved. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Can we look at our assurance of salvation? When we are humble, we do not become OCD. So you don't come in here thinking, oh my gosh, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? I'm a Christian. I hope I'm a Christian. I just need to make sure. And we're, we're freaked out like this. But we are confident and secure enough to say, God, confirm, confirm my regeneration. Confirm my salvation. Let me look at my life. Are there areas of my life that are getting hard? It's okay for me to look at this. Your grace is, is big enough for that. If we're a church that can do that and have those hard conversations and challenge one another, I think we're healthy. Last, last three verses are this are these. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God sternness to those who fell but kindness to you provided that you continue in his kindness otherwise you also will be cut off that's to the Gentile otherwise like the, Gent like the Israelite that wasn't truly saved you're going to be cut off so be careful and if they do not persist in unbelief you know what if, if the churchy person or if the person who's gone and left the church, if they don't persist in their unbelief, you know what's going to happen? They're going to come back. And just like the father who welcomes the prodigal, I will welcome them back and they will be a part of the stem. For God is able to graft them in again. Think about David. It looked like he was killing, committing adultery, killing babies, and killing husbands. And he broke. And Nathan was used by God to break him. You could easily say, this guy's gone off the rails. But then David, sackcloth and ashes, understood, oh my goodness, who, who I think I am. Finally, after all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature to the Gentiles, and contrary to nature, were, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree. In other words, if you were the, the crazy Gentile and you were grafted into the Israelite tree, how much more readily will these, the Israelites, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So what do you do? To the Gentile, have hope for the Israelite that's fallen away. To the Israelite who's been around the church, love the Gentile that's just come in. To the churchy person, please, love it. 
to, 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 to the new convert that's coming to Westtown and sees this and maybe has seen some people fall away and they're at Publix now, you know what? You pray for them. Because you know what? If they come back to the church, we're going to welcome them back in. Because you don't know and I don't know who truly is saved and who isn't. So we keep this humble posture. And if we can, you know what? If these dynamics can be, the context can be humility, I think the way we elder, the way we pastor, the way we are in small groups, the way we sing praises, the way we look at each other's cars, the way we look at each other's clothes, the way we listen to each other and the language each other uses. So when a Gentile comes in here and a new convert comes into a churchy person and says, Jesus just blanking saved me. And all the churchy people are like, what did you just say? And they're like, what do you mean? He saved me. He blinking saved me. And you know, we're like freaked out because you used a cuss word. We're, we're, all of a sudden, that just, we're slayed. We're like, what am I doing? God saved this person. And to the new convert that comes in and says, we've done church this way. It's not to hurt you. It's not to domesticate your salvation. Because they've been here. And they're trying to bring something to you. Maybe some maturity that you don't quite have. Where are we as a church? You tell me. Where are we? Because if we can all see ourselves on this Father's Day as a son or a daughter without a home, and our father came and said, you know what? No, no. You're worth it. I love this story. This is a San Diego father who couldn't find his kid. But he believed that his homeless heroin addict uh, was living on the streets of Denver. So this father contacted a dude named Chris Connor. And he was one of Denver's leading homeless advocates. Connor helped parents find lost kids all the time that got into the drug world. And um, Connor realized that this father was different from the very beginning because he realized, I've never had a parent who would go this far and descend into what homelessness themselves. So sure enough, Connor connected this father with a pastor who serves lunch to the homeless. And here's what this father said the moment he saw his son on the streets in Denver. He says, he, see, he wrote that he has no idea that I'm walking towards him. I can see that he can't stand up without the support of a building. He would appear drunk to most people. To his dad, though, I know from past experience, sadly, he is on heroin and it's heavy. I go up to him and he starts to turn his back on me and the dad says, I don't even care. I just grab him and I squeeze him as hard as I can. And so for the next week, this father became his son's shadow. He wandered the streets with his son during the day and he slept on the banks of the river at night with his son. And he grew a beard for his son and he ate handout sandwiches during the day. And he swatted away rats at night. During this time, his son got sick. Then his son became was in and out of the hospital. Then his son began to steal to buy more drugs. And here's what his father, or here's what, here's what this father said to his son. If you die, your mom and dad die with you. We might still be here breathing, but make no mistake, we'll be dead inside. This pastor asked why he did it, and the father said, the only thing I could think of was just to go there, be with him, and love him, to show him how much his family loves him. If we can see everybody 
on this Father's Day as a homeless addict son or daughter. And here's the Father who says, I will go and I will actually send my son to be with you. I will be with you in it. In fact, you know what? I love you so much. I want my son, Jesus, to take your place, take the punishment for all that you've done. If everybody's the same, Israelite, Gentile, churched, non-churched, whatever it may be, you know what we have? We have a humble and, ironically, confident congregation because this is the type of father that we have. And so we sing things like this, I am no longer a slave to fear. Right? I am a child of God. Where are you? It's Father's Day. You have a heavenly father who says, you know what, here's how much I love you. I'm going to send my very own son. I can't imagine sending my son on Father's Day to save your son or your daughter or you. I can't even, I don't even have a, a, a category for that when you actually think about it. But that's how much he loves us. And if we can understand that, Israel, Gentile, we're together. Churched, unchurched, dechurched, whatever it is, we're all the same. And we all need the same size cross. What if that's what we are? What if that's what our church was based on? What if that's what you thought about this Father's